Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Is that this is an engagement. This is a conversation. We want to continue that dialogue. So certainly open to more conversations with the business community. So we have to make sure we're making a balanced decision and that we're hearing all the voices. But this is not a closed door. This is not a, you know, done deal. We want that engagement and I welcome that. And this is something that we're going to be doing over the next coming days. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Chicago's Business Affairs and Consumer Protection Commissioner, Rosa Escareño. Rosa, welcome back. Fran, thank you for having me. You have presided over a department that has dealt with so much economic hardship and suffering over the last 15 months. The pandemic, two devastating rounds of looting, restaurants forced to close their indoor dining rooms twice, relegated to takeout only. They're still under capacity limits. 20% of them did not survive. They are the beating heart of Chicago, the restaurants, the bars, the nightclub. How does it feel to finally, finally be coming out of this nightmare? It must feel pretty darn good. You know, it it is uh, every time we have to provide an update about reopening, it's just been such a huge relief. Uh, the business community, I, I cannot tell you how many stories we have heard over the pandemic. And it's just really, really devastating. Uh, but as we come out, there's been a lot of a lot of hope. But, you know, we are not out of the woods uh, and, and we are excited to reopen. But so many of our businesses are lagging. We are so hopeful for just trying to do everything we can. I mean, this is the time plan. If ever in our recent time, we must do everything we can to help our business community. We all rely on it. You know, it's an important part of our tax base. It's an important part of getting people back to work. It, it impacts our families across our city. So this is just such an important task to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support every business in our city right now, immediately. This week, Mayor Lightfoot, uh, unveiled a sweeping package of protections to help businesses and consumers bounce back from the economic devastation created by the pandemic. It was a kitchen sink of an initiative. That's what I call it because I read it. I actually was reading it in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. She calls this thing shy biz strong. It includes everything from financial and regulatory relief for businesses, an umbrella of protections for consumers and new job opportunities for ex-offenders. you have two ordinances. One of them is almost 100 pages long. How did this whole thing come together? 
Well, you know, Fran, and, and you know, Chicago is strong, has been strong through this pandemic, and we need to be even stronger as we come out of it. This is why we named it that. But we, through the pandemic, and as we've come out of the pandemic, we have held over 100 conversations with stakeholders, businesses, community groups, to continue to engage with them. And throughout this entire time, they've been telling us the kinds of things that they were frustrated about and why the city needed to do more. Um, and, and, and on some of that were uh, complaints and concerns that we had heard even before, but the pandemic really crystallized the areas that we needed to focus on, you know, equity, making sure the city wasn't getting the way of, of allowing re-entry workers, areas where we, you know, have very high and strong regulation. They wanted us to revisit our regulation, to cut red tape, to get out of the way to allow businesses to prosper. And so we had so much feedback. I'm going to tell you what you see before you is only a portion of the kinds of things that our business community, our residents, consumers, and workers want us to do. We, though, chose to go with what we need to do right now to get the economy, our marketplace open again. Um, and so it, it is all that engagement that really informed this package. It came from the, the, the community, businesses, and workers. But even more importantly, recently, over the last month, we engaged with Chairman Mitz of the Licensing Committee and Chairman Garza of the Workforce Committee to also then bring the legislators in to get a preview of what we were hearing, the direction we were going, and to get their engagement and feedback. So over the last month, we've had those engagements with, with the legislators as well. How much of this came from that COVID-19 recovery task force that Sam Skinner co-chaired? Well, you know, again, uh, the, 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 this task force has been an essential part of our uh, entire pan operations throughout the pandemic. And they have also been an essential part of that information gathering that we've been doing. They, you know, have also been, uh, and it's interesting because that recovery task force, along with what we were hearing, um, many of the same issues, many of the same topics, uh, you know, and as we're going into recovery, we're continuing to hear how difficult it is to get workers back, you know, in, in, in the way that they were uh, in comparison to how they were before. So, yes, that task force, our meetings in the neighborhood, our meetings with individual businesses, our meetings with all the chambers across the city. All of that engagement has been so key. And I will tell you, I think that the recovery task force was so essential to, throughout the pandemic in, in, in the closures and in how we were rolling out a lot of those regulations. We were doing it um, with the guidance of this task force. So I think uh, what we have done in Chicago, Fran, and I'll tell you because I've spoken to other in, in other cities, and the way we incorporated business to be at the table from the beginning, and the way that we are now taking this package with all the things that we have heard, I think has been very unique to Chicago. Uh, so let's go through uh, some of the specifics, Rosa. The big flashpoint, at least initially, appears to be your proposal to require grocery and convenience stores in Chicago to stop selling liquor at 10 p.m. permanently. During the pandemic, the mayor ordered a 9 p.m. cutoff to prevent crowds from gathering outside these stores. Why the need to make this permanent as we're coming out of the pandemic? So, you know, Fran, as you said, I think there was a lot of lessons learned through this pandemic. 
And certainly, um, our reductions were part of, of some of the, the initiatives that were being rolled out through, through the pandemic. But I will tell you that what is in this package is, is a combination of what we heard from business, workers, and consumers. So it's a comprehensive plan. The, the, the hours that are in the package, this is a starting point. This is a conversation. We are taking that input because we can't ignore what the residents are telling us. We can't ignore, you know, the quality of life issues that our city uh, is faced through the pandemic and that we want to make sure that we preserve some of the, 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 the things that we learned as a result of the pandemic. But it is not, you know, this is not written in stone. This is an introduction. Our goal as has been my experience in dealing with this, is that this is an engagement. This is a conversation. We want to continue that dialogue. So certainly open to more conversations with the business community, more conversations with the community. But, you know, it, 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 it's something that we cannot ignore. Um, you know, city resources to address issues across our city has to be something. And this is where the communities are pushing us, right? And so we have to make sure we're making a balanced decision and that we're hearing all the voices. But this is not a closed door. This is not a, you know, done deal. We want that engagement. And I welcome that. And this is something that we're going to be doing over the next coming days. So the hours are somewhat flexible. Maybe you'll push it back to 11 or 12. Again, this is going to be an engagement. I'm not going to predict where we land, but it is definitely going to be a dialogue, and we want to hear, uh, you know, what's going to work best in Chicago. This is absolutely going to be a dialogue and a conversation. Liquor store owners consider this a low blow, as they put it, to stores that have struggled also during the pandemic. They say they'll have to cut staff. They say that during warm weather months, they want to stay open as late as possible to squeeze out every dollar of sales. Why not let them? You know, again, a friend, I think this is about a, a, a holistic approach at really listening to all the voices. I cannot emphasize enough the voice of the communities that really struggle with the issues of quality of life. And, you know, and so we need to make sure that that is part of the conversation as we go forward. The mayor said it very clearly yesterday. This is not an easy issue, but we have to make sure we can't ignore the residents. And so we want to support our businesses. And I think the pandemic also taught us that, you know, we, we can do both, right? We, we can absolutely have a conversation. We can look at the way that we operate our businesses responsibly and that are responsive to communities. And look, again, I welcome that debate. I welcome the dialogue. And I think that the more we can talk about the issues that are important to Chicago as a whole, the only way we're going to be successful as a city is that if we listen to all the voices and that everybody feels like they've been heard. And I think in some communities throughout our city, residents feel ignored. And it is our job to make sure that they are part of the solution. Um, and so absolutely, I want to hear the businesses. I embrace what they're telling me, but we have to make the issues that our residents are bringing to us be part and central to this conversation. Uh, and yes, so, you know, absolutely. We want all our businesses to be successful. Uh, and we, we want to, we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're landing in a place that everybody, uh, maybe not everybody's going to be comfortable, but everybody walks away feeling like they were heard and that we are going to do that together. 
But where is the data tying crime to liquor and convenience stores? The president of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association said there is none. Uh, you know, so I think that to just focus on, on crime alone is it, not, it certainly hasn't been my approach or, or, my, or, or what I've said. I said this is a quality of life issue. Certainly crime is a part of it, but it's, it's, this is quality of life. This is noise. What does that mean? What does that mean? It sounds sloganeering. Absolutely. It means that neighborhoods are dealing with noise, with lots of traffic, with lots of uh, littering and loitering. And so we want to look at this comprehensively. Fran, you know that, um, you know, uh, uh, for example, uh, my nights and weekends team, which we just launched uh, two, two years ago, they have been so busy addressing many of the business complaints and concerns that we hear throughout the city. So it's not all about crime. This is quality of life. Residents that live in communities that feel that, you know, that their issues need to be heard. So it's not just about crime. We shouldn't wait to have a business be pose a, a criminal issue. But this is really about listening to that resident. The families that live in, you know, in neighborhoods that say we want to make sure that the businesses that are operating in our communities are neighborhoods, are businesses that are going to work in concert with the community. And so, yeah, we need to look at that and we're happy to have that dialogue. How do you reconcile the anti-crime part of this with the proposal to allow both delivery and carry out of cocktails to go permanently? It seems a little bit inconsistent. Well, uh, well, number one is that what is in our legislation in terms of Cocktails to go. Cocktails to go is, has been permitted in the city because the state allowed it. And so currently, if the state allows cocktails to go more permanently, which is a decision by the state, we are in our bill saying that if that happens, then the city would follow suit. So we, we can't. But you, know, you, could, we you, could ignore, you could ignore the state and not take advantage of it if you wanted to. Right. And so cocktails to go is a, is a way to support the businesses. Throughout, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the day and throughout the time that they operate. If, if a cocktail to go, as you know, is, will be considered a packaged good, then it may be impacted by these hours as well. So it's definitely opening the doors for cocktails to go if the state allows it, but it also means that they would also have to abide by the hours, uh, of the packaged goods. Right. But so that makes this the 10 p.m. cutoff even worse then because cocktails to go, people could want that well after 10 o'clock. They're partying, they want cocktails to go, and you're saying, no, you got to cut it off at 10 p.m. Maybe you need you to know, be a little again, more flexible about the time. Right. Again, you know, th this is all a balance. And I think, as I said from the beginning, Sam, this is a conversation. You know, I, this is not written in stone. The hours that are in our legislation are, you know, it's an introduction. We want to have that dialogue. And absolutely, if these are the issues and concerns that we need to hear, I welcome that dialogue and I welcome the, the conversation. Uh, but again, we need to make sure that we do not ignore the voices of the consumers and the residents. The residents in, have an opportunity to also then be heard through this process. We can't ignore that. The 15% cap on restaurant delivery services like Grubhub and Uber Eats and DoorDash, you want to extend that until 180 days after 
all pandemic-related restrictions on restaurants are lifted. Some in the city council want to make this permanent. Why not? You know, again, we are um, establishing that that we are establishing that cap, uh, tying it to the pandemic. Uh, and for us, this is a temporary cap to ensure that our restaurants continue to open. You know, we talked about potentially 20% being gone. Um, our goal is to continue to support them as much as we can, but this is very much a temporary cap. Why temporary? Why can't it be permanent if they're if the restaurants are being gouged? You know, I think that 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 the the permanency of this type of a a, a policy really has to be strongly considered with our uh, law department. We have to do a lot more research in terms of what the impact of a permanent cap would mean legally. Uh, and so we know that we can absolutely establish a temporary cap, especially as, as it's tied to, to the pandemic and as it's tied to the recovery. But in terms of something much more permanent, we would have to uh, study the impact, uh, you know, and what that would mean legally for the city. And speaking of that, Alderman Brendan Riley this week proposed that ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft be forced to file a schedule of affairs with the city for all their vehicles and charge no more than 150% of those fares, even during periods of the highest demand. He wants a cap on surge pricing. He says essential workers are literally being gouged now that the pandemic has put what he views as a final nail in the coffin of the taxicab industry. Do you support a cap on surge pricing in the ride-hailing industry? Well, you know, I, I certainly have to uh, make sure I, I read that a little bit more closely. What I can tell you is that I absolutely understand where Alderman Riley is going in, in, in this regard. A few years back, uh, and, and we've seen surge, uh, you know, happen through, throughout the time that uh, the ride-hailing has been in Chicago. And in, in past times, we have actually worked with the companies to to address uh, the complaints that we have heard, and many and in many scenarios, we and the companies have worked to, to try to keep that surge, uh, you know, it, you know, so that it's not gouging uh, the the riders. And so, I'm very much interested in looking at the alderman's legislation. I do, you know, sitting in this in this uh, department as the commissioner of consumer protection as well. You know, anything that would point to gouging consumers is of uh, interest to us. Absolutely, we step in to protect consumers. So I'm interested in looking at that. So uh, definitely understand the theory behind it. And I just want to learn a little bit more before I, I, I comment, um, you know, more specifically. Do you have a concern about the legality of that? I, I would have to consult with our, our attorneys as we look into it. You have some proposals to help the cab industry. You want to extend the life of Chicago taxi cabs from seven to 10 years for most vehicles and from 10 to 15 for fuel efficient taxis. City Hall estimates that the longer life will result in expanding the pool of eligible cabs by 20%, saving a very dying industry as much as $20 million this year alone. How do you think that happens, $20 million, where do you get that from? Well, where that comes from is that in our current legislation, uh, the the um, operators or a taxi owner have to 
uh, switch out its vehicle after it hit a certain amount of mileage. By allowing them to extend that mileage, uh, they could keep their vehicles on longer. So those three additional years or the vehicles that are actually due to uh, be switched out, by just allowing them to keep those vehicles in, it goes to the number that you just mentioned. And so, you know, we uh, we have talked to uh, the, uh, the, the operators, the taxi operators. This is the number one issue that they have brought to our attention. And, you know, we have deregulated in the past. And so our goal is to continue to, to address the very issues that they're bringing to us without compromising the safety. And importantly for us, when you talk about, you know, efficient vehicles as well as wheelchair-accessible vehicles, we want to make sure that we are incentivizing those vehicles by, by you know, pushing to more clean vehicles in Chicago. And so those would get even a longer life. You know, in Chicago, uh, Fran, I don't know if you know this, but Chicago is known uh, and considered uh, uh, to have one of the best wheelchair accessible programs in the country. And so because we have really uh, great incentives to keep putting more wheelchair accessible vehicles during the pandemic, uh, many of our wheelchair accessible vehicles were actually the ones that were the busiest. Also, those that provided and took pace and tap and that participated in the TAP program. So we know that there are ways that our taxi industry, uh, you know, needs a lifeline right now. And so by having all these different deregulations, again, cutting red tape, but, but also making sure that we're being responsible so that we are continuing to ensure uh, inspections for those vehicles is, is so key to this industry. And, and, and literally, we have taken almost all those feedback in terms of what they've asked us to do and it's what you see reflected in our legislation. What is the current state of the cab industry in Chicago? How many medallions are there? How many are on the street? How is the value of them plummeted? Yeah, so, you know, the as you know, medallions are traded in the marketplace. And so they the marketplace really sets the rate. And, yes, many of the um, uh, owners purchase their medallions at high Prices and those prices are are low right now. Um, but look, it's not just the taxi industry; it's all public vehicles across our city. So even the deliveries, as well as the ride hail, all those rides really just um, you know were very low. Those numbers were extremely low. But the taxi industry has been struggling and was struggling a bit even before the pandemic. Our goal is to make sure that we are providing them as much relief as possible. We, we, you know, I'll have to get back to you on the numbers, but uh, certainly they have been struggling. We have been in ongoing conversation with them, and we're hoping that also the driver benefits that are in this package, which right now the, the operators are saying, we need drivers, we need more drivers. But it's, it's a very consistent thing that we've also heard from restaurants. We need more workers. And so we're doing everything we can. We, we're very proud of what's in this package on drivers as well, just what, what is in the package for drivers? On so drivers. For chauffeurs, yeah, so for chauffeurs um, who we, we also license, we have a felony look back today, a five-year felony look back. We are reducing the felony look back for uh, chauffeurs 
to a three-year felony look back. And this is after a, a, a person who is coming back into society has already paid their debt to society, and they've, they've even met all the years of parole. We're still adding today five years. We're reducing that to three years. This actually brings us more in line with what other cities are doing. But for low-level offenses, we're actually just doing a one-year look back. So kind of like your, you know, um, your very low-level um, offenses would have even a, a shorter look back. We think that this is an opportunity for our re-entry workers to find this as, as an opportunity to, to start a job and really build their resume and continue to grow. Um, you so don't think that endangers that. riders at all? I mean, if I if I knew that my cab driver was a former felon, I think I'd be scared. Yeah. So, again, we've worked very closely with, uh, you know, with prosecutors and we've worked very closely with our uh, 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 Department of Family and Support Services that actually monitors and looks at all of our uh, reentry worker programs. And, and, you know, the data is very, very clear in terms of recidivism. So, our again, we are right now. Uh, the most prohibited city when it comes to this area. We want to align with where other cities are, and absolutely not. I mean, these individuals have paid their debt to society, and many of them are just, you know, uh, building their life back again. And so we want to make sure, and, and no, absolutely not, friend. We are not compromising safety in any way whatsoever. You know, we've looked at the data. We're being very, very careful here. And no, other cities have been doing it way before us. And so this is this is a huge ask. Uh, not only from the taxi industry, the right hill industry, but also uh, this is the right thing to do. Uh, you also the- want to pave the way for low speed three and four wheel electric vehicles to carry passengers for hire, provided they travel at speeds not exceeding 30 miles an hour and carry no more than 10 passengers. And uh, tell us about that. What's new about that? And, and what do you see there? Well, yeah, so, you know, we want to make sure that we we actually already have some of those electric uh, vehicles that are uh, um, a couple of smaller companies that are licensed. We were licensing them under our regular um, uh, livery license. But I think it's important, especially as environmental, we want to be environmentally friendly and we want to make sure that we are building a separate license just for those vehicles that are coming in with this, uh, you know, in, in a new, clean uh, way, which electric is considered as such. And so they're already here. What we're doing in this legislation is building uh, out just a separate section where we would license them slightly different so we can start to track and grow, um, you know, those vehicles that are coming in uh, as, as cleaner vehicles. You're proposing $10 million in targeted grants for businesses hardest hit by the pandemic. Um that sounds like a lot, but it's really not. I could see that money being gobbled up really fast. How will you determine who gets it and how will it be done fairly and what happens when the money runs out? Well, you know, Fran, uh, under the, this administration put out $100 million throughout the pandemic, and it was the largest pot of any other uh, city in, in the country. And so we think that this $10 million builds on what we've already demonstrated, uh, our commitment to businesses. And so, yes, you're right. I will tell you, the, the business community just needs more help. Uh, we have always relied on the federal government to step in in that case. In this case, we are doing everything we can to hear the voices that said we need more money. So $10 million may not be a lot, but I think our goal is to really think about citywide where we need to kind of 
focus our attention where we probably need to step in. So there are factors that we want to look at. So to make sure that this $10 million, we can stretch it out and, and make it be impactful. Uh, so I don't have those details yet because we want to work with other partners to make sure we get there. And so more to come on that. You're shaving up to three weeks from the time it takes for new restaurants to get licenses to open in spaces occupied by previously shuttered restaurants and up to two months off the 150-day wait for business permit signs and awnings. No longer would a separate ordinance be required for each public way permit. That is another political flashpoint. That's aldermanic prerogative and you're stepping on their toes. The aldermen want to retain that power for themselves. Why should they give it up? And what happens if there is and there will be political resistance? Yes, so I, I just want to separate the two, the two issues. Uh, number one is that when we uh, want to reduce the number of days for the restaurants, especially the shuttered restaurants, uh, this is something that, that we can do administratively. Um, and so what we're doing there is really just for any restaurant that was literally just inspected either during the pandemic or right before the pandemic, restaurants that we had been there, we know they were safe, and that owner could not make it. We want the new owner that comes into that same spot to just reopen. And, and then we're pushing the inspections to the back. And so it will allow them to save two to three weeks, maybe even longer. Uh, and I think it may even extend uh, beyond the shuttered restaurants to other uh, retail food. But in terms of the permits, I just want to say very clear, this is not about you know, uh, aldermanic prerogative. I think for years, uh, you know, we have been hearing for years about how long it takes to, to get a permit. But the pandemic, Fran, has just shed light on some of the areas that have been just so prohibitive for businesses and really hurtful uh, to businesses. And so what this is about is about just expediting the, the way we issue permits. It is unreasonable for a small business to want a sign or an awning to take 120 days and maybe even longer. And so what we are saying is that during the pandemic, the alderman approved an ordinance for Sidewalk Cafe where they, uh, they said, yes, go ahead. We want to review the permit. But once we review it, BACP, you go and issue. That's exactly what we're asking for in this ordinance. We think we have a proven uh, pilot that we can point to where the aldermen know we worked with them, it is important for us, and it should be important for any neighborhood, that the aldermen are part of, of the review process of everything that goes in the neighborhood. We are preserving that. That is actually at the front of the process. We're just saying once you're done reviewing and generally you are okay with this, now give it to us, and then we want to issue. What happens today, once that we do that, we still have another 30 to 60 days on the back end that businesses just can't put up that sign, can't tell people that they're open, can't advertise their business properly because they're waiting for an ordinance to clear. And so I know that that is something that has been discussed before. We, we are open to continuing to work with the aldermen, and we, have, we can prove to them that the process that we just had over the past year has worked. With, you want to require with, anyone who hires a domestic worker to enter into a written contract to pay that employee a minimum wage of at least $15 an hour. Does that mean if someone has a housekeeper who cleans their house once a week or a couple times a month, does that mean they have to sit down and hammer out a written contract? 
That that is correct, Fran. But I want to make sure that people understand that this shouldn't. This is not going to be a twenty-page contract, a ten-page contract, a five-ten-page contract. This is a simple document. A paragraph? Uh, they could type a paragraph on a piece of typing no, paper. We, we, no, we are. We will provide a one-pager type agreement so that when look, domestic workers have been. How kind of keeping this whole thing together, along with our essential workers, these workers, especially as we go back to work, Fran, we need the domestic workers to feel valued and to be protected. They are among the most vulnerable, uh, you know, employees. Uh, and so we want to make sure that, yes, that there is a very simple contract where you say you're getting the minimum wage and these are the conditions of work. Because how are you going to police that? That sounds ridiculous. I mean, how do, were you, what are you going to knock on every door? Of, do you have someone cleaning your house? Where's the contract? I mean, how are you going to do no. that? No, you know, Fran, uh, we have a lot of advocate groups that we have partnered with. You know, one of the, 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 the problems here, Fran, just like you said, because we can't do that, because we can't knock on doors, is why so many of the domestic workers are actually being taken advantage of. And so we need to reverse that. We need to demonstrate that in Chicago, we value workers, that Chicago is a city that is going to progress because we value the work and we are not going to tolerate, you know, individuals being taken advantage of. What this means is that we're going to work with advocates who are going to help us inform and engage. And we are going to make it easy that anyone who raises a complaint can call 311. And when we call, you know, Fran, and we call you because you didn't engage with a, with a contract, we're going to say, okay, can you show me the contract that you have with the worker? If you don't have a contract, well, then you're going to be penalized. So the, the what is the penalty going to be? Well, the policy is going to be that, number one, domestic workers are being brought to get minimum wage up to the front of the line, so they will get minimum wage this year. And then that a, an individual who wants to engage with domestic workers, you just need a very simple one-pager um, to to ensure that, that, that you did everything right. And then on the so you're going to find people who, yes, the, if, they, if they, the they domestic worker is not getting paid, they'll report it to you, and you're going to bang on the door, ask to see the contract, and find the person who doesn't have one. You got it. Penalty. How much? What's the fine? You know, I'll, I'll have to look. At, you said okay. it was over a hundred page ordinance. I'll look at it and make okay. sure I <laughs> see. I, I had trouble reading it. So did you, Rosa? We could talk oh, all I day about this. Details. I don't want to give you the wrong amount. There's different amounts. No, of, different of course types. I understand. Yeah. We could talk all day about all that's in here. This kitchen sink of a thing. Uh, but we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck on the back to work situation. I hope that the downtown workforce that all these businesses count on so heavily comes back so that they can all thrive. And we will see yes. you all next week. Yes, thank you, thank you. Keep strong, Chicago.